In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that the world is singing your praises. I hope the sun is shining, the birds are singing. hope the wind is at your back. I hope you got something to do, someone to love, and something to look forward to. For most of you, it's probably this show, and it's probably this guest, the one and only Jocelyn Brady. She's a writer, author, a keynote speaker, behavioral change consultant, story scientist, and CEO of Scribe, often referred to as the Bill Nye of neuroscience. We're going to get into all the content she's been creating, the unique way in which she sees the world and help, and how she can help you see it better. Jocelyn, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? What a pleasure. Thank you. Um, you're hired. Introduce me everywhere. <laughs> Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Nice. Well, it's it's such a fascinating time to be alive. And I think that the, the pace of change is, is changing so fast. And we're moving into this world that really belongs. I think the future belongs to the storytellers, the people with imagination. And I've seen so much of your content lately because I've been looking forward to talking to you. I think that you're an amazing storyteller. And I was curious if maybe you could give people a little bit of background on your story before we get into storytelling. Yeah. Well, I was born near an Arctic tundra. Yes, we are going back that far. Uh, <laughs> raised, <laughs> raised on an active volcano, um, in Hawaii on the Big Island. And when I was seven, uh, a volcano ate my house, <laughs> and um, rendered me and my dad. I was raised by my dad, um, homeless. So we went to a homeless shelter, and um, and then kind of got on welfare, relied on the kindness of of strangers, and uh, my dad was a really incredibly talented storyteller. I mean, case in point, I'm pretty sure it was a shelter that we stayed at for women and children only. And he somehow talked his way in. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, like, look at this little girl. Uh, and he was a really phenomenal storyteller in all kinds of mediums. He's a guitar player, a playwright, um, an author, a haiku poet. 
Um, he grew up in Southern California, like once upon a time in Hollywood, Forrest Gump, that's his life. He played with the Beach Boys, um, you know, ran, literally ran into uh, O.J. Simpson, met Charles Manson, um, just all, always had these really great stories. And he would grow, you know, as I was growing up, he would tell me a lot of these stories and especially these like juicy stories, you know, they could get to these really um, cliffhangers. And he'd be like, and that's when the police came. And I'd be like, but then what happened? And he's, you know, I'll tell you when you're older. Mm. So that um, really shaped that and being raised in, an, in a place that is so rich in nature, which gives you story unraveling in real life. And also the culture itself has so many, it's such a rich storytelling culture. So it was just like, I was swimming in it all the time. So I loved stories. Um, yeah, that's kind of the, the background. And I, I, I got into writing. Um, I wrote my first, I published my first poem when I was nine about my not dead grandmother, but I wrote about her as if she were dead at people at a funeral. Cause that's, that, <laughs> that's what I did as a child. Um, and, uh, I, I stuck with it and I, you know, I eventually found my way into opening uh, storytelling narrative consultancy I was working on really big brands got super bored got really interested in people's brains and like what are I don't really care about your brand story I care about these human beings who are tasked with making this stuff up and working well together and hopefully feeling some kind of kindred spirit and joy and connection in this work that they do every day so that's what I leaned more into over time that's yeah, beautiful. I, there's something so romantic about the relationship with language. And for me, you know, when I when I hear your story, I, I can't help but think of my daughter and my relationship to her. And I'm hopeful that I can do the things for my daughter that your dad did for you. And it seems to me that he's given you or bestowed upon you this beautiful gift of language. And in, the world is kind of made of language. And I think that that kind of moves into the world of of behavior and brains but what what is your relationship to language like your father was a poet you were up writing poems at nine like that definitely gives you an insight into the way the world works and the way you see it yeah i love language i am also very envious of people who speak multiple mm. languages yep. um hey jeff uh and um just linkedin user that is so not yeah. fitting for jeff. i know um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I think we, we have this magical power to convey as best we can through these stencils of words what is going on in our locked skull, you know? This like dark, this black hole that's in here can translate some experience and essence into these words that can then go into somebody else's, you know, <laughs> trapped brain. Yeah. And that's that's like a mirror. it's a miracle. And, and I think it's... um what a wonderful gift to that we have and the more facility we have with our words and being able to express and understand. I mean, I think the better, the better we create and get along. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about the way in which our, all of our lives are shaped by language. I just had a, I had a really interesting conversation a little bit ago with a gentleman and we were talking about the way in which the written word, books, these ideas of like exact repeatability, 
have shifted our focus. They've changed, you know, the same way you concentrate on a word and then a letter in that word. It seems to echo the way in which society works as individuals. Like we've gotten away mm. from the larger storytelling, how we're all players and we interact. And now we're like into this individual, look at the symbolic meaning of the word. Let's dig down with applied linguistics. <laughs> you know, that's funny to think about, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. I really thought about it like that. And how, you know, it all needs to, it all needs to work together. And it, and it yeah. ship, you know, ship, ship, shape shift. <laughs> Easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i remember so I, another reason i got really into um language in the brain right particularly and what really sparked my interest in brain science neuroscience um cognitive neuroscience is my dad had a stroke when i was quite in my early 20s um and he temporarily for a few months lost his ability to speak and I remember that day that my grandma called and she told me the news and she's like, he can answer the phone. So you could call the hospital. And I did. I just remember like muting myself. Cause I was, Oh, don't hear how nervous I am. Oh my God. I'm never going to hear the end of the stories. Unacceptable. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I remember him picking up and just like this I, alien, like he was just like, hi, He's like, hi Joss. And I, I just lost it. And I mean, he could make out some sounds. It was really difficult for him. He couldn't articulate. It was exhausting. And that's when I was like, I want to learn everything about what happened, what happened in his brain from this stroke. How, how does it work? What can be done? And that's how I learned about neuroplasticity, you know, the adult brain's mm -hmm. ability to change, which even in the early 2000s wasn't regularly accepted, even in the scientific community. And, uh, it, like little by little, he would just look at letters and think of words and one letter at a time, look at objects and, you know, just like go k uh, p cup and just stick with it. And that's like, man, there's nothing like watching someone close to you or having this experience yourself of losing something that you might have taken for granted mm. to recognize that gift so valuable uh yeah wow what what an incredible experience it it seems on some level like a huge tragedy but if i were to pan back a little bit it seems like it's those tragedies in life that really blow on the embers of of coals in our heart that create a fire like maybe because of that you become who you were maybe because of that love for your father and the need to understand how to solve that problem that you have help probably thousands of other people solve problems about behavior. You're given this, you know, Ted talk slash comedy stand-up special. Like maybe that, that would have never happened had you not thought about it that way. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, just like every, every big moment presents a gift in itself, even if it doesn't feel like that. Right. It's like, you now have, you've, you're seeing something you haven't seen before. A door is opened it's like that all those old cliches apply yeah. one closes another opens it's true and you can choose to pursue that hard thing or that new thing or that scary thing just mm. like what are the choice do i have i'm going to shut down and like look away what's the point of that it's not a life yeah yeah, yeah. it's i think it speaks to the idea of 
behavior. Like you, you go deep, deep into this and you have such a unique way of looking at it. And I, I want to get into that. It's, do you think that one of your quotes is that we're not really thinking people, we're feeling people or we're feeling beings that pretend to think or something along those lines. Maybe you can dive down to that and unpack that for us. Yeah. So that's a quote from Jill Bolt Taylor and she wrote my stroke of insight and she was one of my early heroes because yeah. uh, she was a neuroscientist who experienced a stroke and wrote about it. And that was like, um, it really helped me understand what's going on with my dad, who, by the way, he did regain his ability to speak and tell nice. dad jokes. And he still does not finish the, the cliffhangers because he still says, I'll tell you when you're older and I'm 41. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Jill Bolt Taylor, yes, yeah, so it's uh, we tend to think of ourselves as uh, thinking creatures that feel when really we're feeling creatures that think. Mm. I, I love it so much. She's like we talking about this gift of language. We can we can even tend to think of that as like this logical side of us and yeah. um, even, you know, one side of the brain, all those old kind of myths. But being able to identify like that's how we experience the world. We feel things in our bodies and our brains like respond mm -hmm. and then it gives rise to, you know, these emotions come up and then we interpret them a certain way. Um, and it's something I think is sorely, absolutely believe no is sorely lacking, particularly in business, is the fact that we are feeling we are emotional creatures. And that drives us, right? It's like, yeah. if, if you, the better you can recognize that, the better everybody's going to be. I mean, maybe they'll quit. But I mean, it'll be better off. Everyone will be better off. I promise. Agreed. Yeah, it's business blows my mind because they're like, listen, we can harness the power of fear and love and advertising, but we don't want any of that in the actual workplace. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Keep that to yourself. Yeah. Put it in the box. Get back to being a robot. We we don't mm -hmm. need emotions in here. We need productivity. And I I I I've been playing with this idea too. And this stems from me being in a long bout of people who care about production over anything else. In multi and this is just my opinion that in multinational corporations, I worked for UPS for 26 years, and they don't care one iota about service. They don't care one iota about people. They don't care about anything except productivity. And so it, it just blew my mind how many creative and beautiful people are in the world of business and they want to do a great job. They have these creative solutions. They can solve problems, but they are bunkered down and held down by this thing called the bottom line. And the bottom line says all that matters is productivity. Productivity seems to me to be the, the I don't know, it just seems to be stripping creativity from everything. But anyways, that's my soapbox right there. Thanks for letting me jump on that for a minute. But um, yeah, it's it's fascinating how we don't allow the language or we don't allow the real behaviors that can solve problems into our life, whether it's in business or in our own personal life. What do you think? Absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, I remember you saying that on um, on Jeff's uh, um, 40 going on four. Oh, yeah. Where it was sort of like productivity is the antithesis to creativity. Yep. It's like, that is such an interesting um, perspective. And I was like, yes, why does that resonate so much? Yeah. Because we have, and I, you know, I think I even use it in my language. Like de sure. it depends on who's hiring me, right? They want to see the right. word productivity. Yes. Get me in there. And then I'll mm -hmm. talk about play and yeah. brain science and comedy and yeah. joy. Um, but yeah, it's just like, we've, as if the bottom line is the only thing that matters, 
Like, what are you doing with your life if the only thing you want yeah. is the most number of apples produced the fastest? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, the, but the tree is sick and the soil is dry. And what are you going to mm -hmm. do about that? There's no air. There's a storm. It's just like, there's a whole freaking organism and ecosystem that needs tending to. So open up your eyes, man. There's way more to measure in business. And that's such a a shame that that's become like this myopic focus it's and even you know villainized and characterized in, in films and movies and like kind of um becoming true before our very eyes or like like look what's happening with these strikes the like, yeah. executives are just sort of you know like let's let them bleed out until they have no choice but to come back and sign a crappy deal yeah we're gonna teach these guys a lesson you're not teaching yeah. anybody a lesson what lesson are you teaching there <laughs> well, hey, yeah <laughs> funny to like you have to laugh like a there's a great quote between um a gentleman named eugene debs who was a great union leader and henry ford and they're walking down this was back when automation first came in and i think it resonates today they're walking down the assembly line and henry ford he's walking with eugene debs and he goes hey eugene you know all sarcastically how are you gonna get all these machines to pay union dues <laughs> and eugene says hey henry how are you gonna get all those machines to buy your cars you know, like <laughs> we're yes. the same, man. We're on this, we're moving parts. We're different gears. We need each other. And one person doesn't win by hurting the other people. The only way we move forward is by understanding that we're part of the whole. And I think that that's a lot of what your storytelling does. It impacts people and it gets them to see we're part of this story. We're part, we're characters in a play. Which part do you want to play? And that leads me to one of my first questions, Jocelyn. I'm super stoked you're here. Thank you. Is how does storytelling impact the way we perceive and process informational and process information compared to more traditional methods of communication? I storytelling rules the world. Everything yeah. that we believe comes from story. Everything that we imagine, our brain is constantly creating stories to make sense of the world, of the human experience, of things that happened. Um, consolidating our memory, like just contextualizing everything. It's constantly doing that, even when we're asleep to make sense of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, I mean, the best storytellers rule the world. And it doesn't mean the greatest, like most imaginative necessarily, because we see who gets into leadership. Um, but, but, so true. but they, but, but stories sway us. I mean, look at, at you go to a concert, we go to yeah. movies. Um, the entertainment industry is huge. I saw this really beautiful um, quote. It might've, I don't know where it came from, but it was Ethan Hawke talking about the value of creativity. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, people think of, you don't, you don't think of a, a poet or a poem as necessarily, I'm going to just butcher this, but a poem necessarily having value until a father dies or you lose a limb or your heart is broken. And then you seek that mm. meaning and connection like it like it's a life force and you know then that poem shows you that you're not alone and someone's been through this before and uh you can get through this these are necessary things for us as beings so I, that's you know story is vital yeah that's beautiful i, I love it i i've found later in life like a strategy that i use that that I think is almost synonymous with this is that it really helps to begin to look at your life like a story. You know, 
one thought experiment you can do is pretend that you're a character in a book. And now pretend you're constantly trying to get attention of the author to get a bigger part. You know, what kind what, what book do you want to be in? Like, what character do you want to be? Start if you find yourself, if you think about that, you're in a book. Okay, what role are you playing? If you want a bigger role, then start moving through the pages and helping out other characters. Start identifying the other characters around you and what what is your connection to that character and how can you play a bigger part in their life because playing a bigger part a bigger part of the story in other people's lives means that your character grows bigger and all of a sudden you become the main character of this novel and maybe you're the hero or maybe you're the anti-hero whatever it is i don't care but play a bigger role in your story and watch the the story unfold in front of you watch the author begin to write new parts for you to walk down and new gardens and new people start coming into your life and I, I love the idea of story and I love the idea of people telling themselves a better story. What do you think about narratives and internal storytelling? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is what I live for. Um, absolutely. God, I love that so much. Uh, it's, it's an exercise to give people too. I love the way that you put it. Just thinking of yourself as a character in a story, especially if, if someone's struggling and they, yeah. you know, like they have this, they're identifying with this identity that only does X, Y, and Z and, and that's who they are and it's not these other things aren't possible for them so like just yeah. let's do a little distancing exercise and that person's now a character and they choose these different roles what if that character is what glinda the witch or you know the good witch or the bad witch um <laughs> what do they do what do they say what's yeah. it like for them and um yeah and that when what you said about characters like go and see how you can support other characters yeah. that's like one of the greatest things we can do um for our for our self, for our well-being, for our mental yeah. health, it's like go out and tell someone thank you. Um, mm -hmm. You know, go offer some kindness because you will feel better. They will feel better. It has a ripple effect. Like this stuff is contagious. And yeah, the stories we tell ourselves—it's like that's what you can keep yourself stuck. Even becoming aware of it can be a process. Like what is what is this narrative that I've come up with that tells me I can never be a public speaker or I could never yeah. um, share work or I could never X, Y, and Z, right? It's like that. Yep. It's just a story. You get to change it. You get to try on a new one and see what mm -hmm. is more helpful. Yeah. And there's so much dimensions to it too. If you, if you see yourself as the, as a character in a, in a book, like you can look at it that way, or you can be like, Hmm, maybe I'm more of like a on-stage performance. You know what I mean by that? Because if mm. it's a book, so it just changes the dimension. Because if you're looking at it, a book, you could be like, okay, well, where am I at in my character arc? Okay, I'm in the hero's journey part right here. This is the first threshold guardian. Okay. And what I one idea I really love about stories is that it puts you in the third person point of view. And it's so helpful and so effective to see your life there. You know, and I'll give you an example. All of us know people in relationships where you're like, that's never going to work. I can <laughs> see these two people. That's That guy's using this. She's doing that. It's done. It never even started, but they can't see it because they're right in it. And they are, they are in their own story for whatever reason, but they can't see it. But you as a third person can see it. And it's obvious. You can do the same thing for yourself. If you just change the narrator, if you just change the perspective, it's hard to do when you got tunnel vision and you get up and you go to work and you come home and you get up and you go to work. It's difficult when you got the blinders on, 
But if you could just tell yourself you're in a story, whether it's a stage, a movie, a book, it'll change your perspective and you can see it from over here now. And it, it, it changes everything, right? Isn't that a form of behavioral change? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's like a, uh, I think it's psychological distancing is that kind of mm. practice of like, well how said. do I step outside this, this situation and imagine it a different way. And then it, it kind of unlocks a new, a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's absolutely, if you, I really love that. Just like, just step outside, be on this. You're God now. Yeah. You're God telling the story. Yes. Whatever being you want to be, let's call it absolutely. that. And uh, or an alien, actually, yeah. a global baby alien who's like, what's going on with this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, from a cat's point of view. Um, yeah, is it just like that's you, you get that you get you get to choose that, and it doesn't feel that way. It feels like we we get stuck because our brain is, our brains are tricky, and they want us. You know, it's like how do we help you not die today? Well, <laughs> we'll just do exactly what we've always done, all the same kinds of thoughts and patterns and habits and stories which mm-hmm. are habitual will come up to keep you safe and not dead so if you're feeling that like uh-oh jocelyn wants to go um play, play basketball today i don't know i don't do that it's, let's just do that <laughs> <laughs> see and then my brain says, no jocelyn doesn't play jocelyn is not a basketball player jocelyn does not play basketball jocelyn will look like a fool playing but whatever blah, 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 blah. And then you get to decide, like, nope, today Jocelyn played basketball and she had a great time. <laughs> Whatever happened, learned something. Uh, yeah, I think that's it's like one of the most important um, uh, tools and um, I don't know, like a, an easy thing to to try on. And it could be more difficult to apply and integrate, but just try it. Just try on a new story. Yeah. What like let's say let's say you go into a um you have a client or you go into a business setting and they start talking about patterns and behaviors and things they want to change. Like what what would be one of the first steps that you would do to to help them achieve changing patterns and behaviors? Mm. So it's helpful to think about um the what is the change that you want to see? What's the mm-hmm. end result, right? It's like right. just like what what is the thing? Let's say you want to be a, a basketball player and and uh you believe that you're not and you're doing nothing about it right so here's the end state basketball basketball playing version of self great and then get it like turn it into this is what i like to do is make it a headline right turn it into a like story it. turn it into a song title a track a, a tv or a t-shirt slogan something that feels fun for you mm-hmm. and that's like your north star and now it's like that's the top of Everest. Okay. You're not going to get there t- tonight, probably unless you fly a jet or something, which you can do. Um, but if we think about like, what are the steps to get there? Right. And this is just kind of like behavior one-on-one, just like think yeah. of, think of the big thing and then go now, what is the absolute tiniest, like ridiculously small thing that you can do? This is part of um, BJ Fogg's work that I love so much. He wrote his tiny habits Academy guy. And it's like tiny to like, what can you do in two minutes or less? So if you if you want to be a basketball player, and I'm not saying you're going to be in the NBA, whatever, a person who plays basketball, what's the very first thing that can take two minutes? I will bounce a basketball. I will put on basketball shoes. I will, um, I don't know why I said, in my brain said smell. I will smell basketball <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Hi. Yes, that's the thing. That's part and of it. Then, and then celebrate it. 
and this is the, this is where most people get stuck because they're like i don't deserve celebration i didn't do anything big i wasn't productive enough <laughs> and that is bollocks you need you want to make that change you have to own it and you have to convince your brain that it's a great idea because it will actively resist the thing that mm. you're you're trying to change or that you're afraid of right so it's like i smelled shoes and that was my tiny step yes i did it hell yeah i'm making steps that's where you start it's beautiful shoes yeah it's 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 interesting because smell is like the one of the closest sense tied to memory right so if you're smelling the shoes you may you may smell those shoes every time now you think about basketball but it's it's so tied in together like that i love that what bj what, what was the gentleman's name that you referenced bj fogg he's uh the author of tiny habits and founder of tiny habits academy he's a behavior scientist out of uh, stanford Oh, it's so true. I've never heard that before. Thanks for bringing that up. It, um, let me see. I have another awesome. I have a bunch of questions here. Which one? I'm jumping to this one. How can we measure the effectiveness of storytelling in promoting behavioral change? And what research methods are commonly used in this area? How could we measure the effectiveness of storytelling in creating behavioral change? Yes. Well Woo! Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, wow. I feel like I'm, I'm like trying to pass the bar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're interesting questions and you are an interesting person. I don't know how we measure storytelling or if we want to. I mm. wonder, I wonder what, I think that, and maybe I'm being a little um, resistant because I worked so long in branding and they're just like, mm. yeah, no. Um, how do you measure the feeling of joy? Mm. Um, or the will to live, like, how do you measure people looking forward to working with each other? Mm. I don't know that we can. And I don't know right. that again, that we should, that said, since businesses get, do get so myopically focused on metrics and measurement, I guess the best way is, is currently is to do things like surveys. And, um, mm. there's a, there's a technique called buddy interviewing where you get two people together and you ask them questions and they can kind of, um, it, it has an interesting effect that you don't necessarily get one-on-one -on -one or through surveys alone, right? The surveys have their lots of flaws. Um, yeah. But I don't know how else we could other than sort of these self-measures or if you're looking at, you know, just like the, the kind of obvious, hey, you, you told, you have a, you told yourself a story about becoming a basketball player and now you either are or you are not a basketball player. So did it, did it work? Even then, though, um, maybe some maybe they decided that wasn't the thing. They started exploring it, and they're like, you know what? Yeah. Actually, I I'm I'm glad I tried this, but this this doesn't sit right, and my my goals have shifted, and I, now I want to be um, a a cat whisperer. And so then, you know, you just follow that. It, 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 you follow that new thread. Is that to say that the story didn't work? How do you measure a change of mind into something that's more aligned or something you're more curious about. So I don't know. I don't know how we, how we measure that effectively, effectively, or if, if something like that exists, I do know that there are, you know, um, some experiments and things done on uh, changing narrative patterns and shifting thought. And there's really great stuff in um, that's been done on improv uh, mm -hmm. with this man named Charles Lim. And a lot of other people, but he's the one I know that first comes to mind first. And he did these experiments looking at what's happening in people's brains when they're creating um, improv, improv music, uh, rap, 
He's currently right. looking at uh, improv performers, like stage stage comedy improv. Yeah. And that is a form of telling a story that shifts behavior and shifts thinking and gets people, there's, you know, um, can calm nervous system, drop um, stress levels and, uh, and shift your thinking possibly for the rest of your life. So there's that. Yeah, that's, I love it. It's a beautiful answer. And I, I wholeheartedly agree that, you know, trying to measure, like, the, the theory in business is, well, how do you manage what you can't measure? Well, the problem is you can't measure subjectivity, you know, and, and you can't, we don't have the tools to measure non-Euclidean space. And so we just throw away everything that doesn't fit into our cool little box. We don't have, <laughs> we don't have a real measuring tool for that. So let's just throw it out. Like, no, dummy, that's important stuff. We can't throw that out. Well, we can't measure it. So it's over here. Okay. Those people should just step aside for a minute because those are the people that are getting us tunnel vision. I propose that we start looking at the way other animals see each other and they communicate. Let's take the, the squid, for instance. Like, here's mm -hmm. an animal that like communicates by changing its form, by changing its shape, by changing its color. You know, in, in, a, in a weird way, we do that. And I'll go back to the idea of poetry. If you sit down with someone you love, like before, like in the intimate phase of a relationship, <clears throat> and you sit down to a candlelight dinner and you're reading poetry and the both of you are really attracted to each other, just the act of reading like an erotic poem or just a beautiful poem, you're going to see someone's face get flushed. You're going to see the goosebumps come up the same way as squid or they change their shape. So too do we change our shape and our texture if we're really willing to tell the right stories. And that's how you know you're communicating, whether it's improv and the crowd is clapping and they're yelling, or maybe it's a eulogy and someone is, you, you can see, you can measure the performance by the tears in the eyes of the loved ones. And it's it's more than a performance. It's a, it's a, it is a coming together, an interaction that we have with each other. And the language is the bridge. The story is the, is the platform which we all play on. And I, I, I really think that the, the work you're doing, like some of the shorts you're doing are awesome. Some of the, the stand-up slash talking that you're doing, I think that you are showing people how to be that bridge. And I want you to teach more people how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. I really, that's <clears throat> like thinking of how an, like an octopus. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Changes. Octopus. Uh, or squid, octopus. Either yes. one, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. One of them does. Yeah, the little aliens of the sea—they're yes. so fascinating. And yeah, then thinking right. of how we too transform in ways that can seem more subtle. Um, but I do. I think that, if as far as I know, we are the only creatures who cry visible tears of sadness, mm. and mm. they are made of a different chemical substance than tears that clear our eyes, for example, you know, like mm -hmm. we get something in their yeah. eye or it's windy. Um, yeah, which is like that we, one theory around that is we cry these visible tears that they stick to our face. This, the sadness tears stick to our face longer. Mm. So next time you cry tears of sadness, see if you can notice the difference between that and your eye and your eye tearing up to get something out of it. And that's like a, a signal to our fellow beings that I need help. Mm. That's, I had no idea. Thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, it's, 
it's an uns it's the unspoken word that that we sometimes really gets us you know it's that whole thing together whether it's the tears the smile the <clears throat> the flared nostrils or the squinting of the eyes you know it's all these fascinating things that they play a part in our story i can think of you know there's always some foreshadowing like one of my favorite authors is uh you know there, there's the herman melville who you could argue is a prophet I would like to do that mm. sometimes, but you know, the book Moby Dick, where they talk, there's so much foreshadowing in there where they talk about Starbuck and all these people. Then they, they talk, they describe their faces and in doing so they're describing the scene around them. And I think that that's a part of storytelling too, is right. Setting the scene, setting the environment. And there's a lot of intention in there. Yeah. Yeah. And we get, we gain so much just yeah. from that picture, right? Yeah. Like, so much that is impossible to put all the words to. Yeah. But as a form of language in of itself, it's like, what are you seeing in this scene? What are yeah. you feeling? What does it smell like? Where are the shoes? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well done. I love it. So here's, a, here's one that we see play out on mass media. And it's this idea of the way storytelling is employed to address social or environment issues. What, do you think that there's a a certain sort of responsibility for storytelling and, and what, what does that look like? Yeah. I think that that's such a, oof. Um, the people who know that stories change minds yeah, and that have the power because they own the networks or they're in front of the, they, they hog the microphone. Absolutely have a responsibility. Do yeah. they take it? Do they use it? Well, not in my opinion, mostly, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, and I think that it's like that whole thing when people get too much absolute power, corrupting absolutely is people get so blind because I don't know why exactly other than we, we seem to deny that we are this social species mm -hmm. and we, that we need each other. And then when we get more and more to like, like billionaire status, it's such a, mind fucks like what yeah this doesn't yeah. make any sense not a person having that much doesn't make any sense and i think the brain just goes berserker like i empower i need more you know it's like that um what is that little that cartoon um absolute power yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so i i think that anytime you're telling a story about especially about what happened or like with the media telling a story yeah. about big things that are happening. Oh, I wish they would take a little more responsibility. I think the people who do it best are the comedians because yeah. they are not afraid to say the truth. And we know that as the audience, like we might not like their comedy or we might have hurt feelings, but you know, for the most part, you listen to a comedian, a really skilled comedian, they are telling the truth in a way that most of the storytellers are afraid to do so, which mm -hmm. kind of goes back to that whole, like, you know, when the um, jokester, what was it? The, the Joker person was in the castles. <laughs> the, um, the wit, the court wit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that person, well, I guess it depends on the King because they could have their, their head cut off. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> How do yeah. I tell the truth in subtle ways? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do wish we see, we saw more of that in the, in the consolidated powers. However, it's really cool to see that, I mean, there's there's this happening, right? Yeah, you have this podcast, 
we have places to express um and from the social media channels mm -hmm. which ownership even who, who who runs x or whatever anything's called anymore um there's there's that but we still have that there's places like substack for mm -hmm. you know writers who want to put out whatever they feel like putting out and can generate their own um audience and get connected that way so i, th I really yeah. love seeing the emergence um of of that storytelling channels yeah it, you know I, I love language too and i so much comes to mind when we're talking about these stories like i think of the word history his story and all of our his stories are different whether you know, whether, where are you reading his story? Are you reading his story in Japan? Are you reading history in England? Are you reading history in Africa? Are you reading history in the United States? Because they're all different stories told by the person that had the microphone. You know, and, and if we, if, if, if you, if you can look at it from that angle, you can almost put yourself in this weird sort of psychedelic third person point of view. Like let's take comedians, for example. A lot of the times the comedian's best stuff is before they get famous. Because it's really mm. difficult to tell stories about trauma and upcoming and facing adversity when you have everything. <laughs> so you can, you know, you can see comedians that are crushing it, crushing it, and then they just level off and they kind of have the same act. Or even their new stuff is like, yeah, it's just missing something. You know, it's like it's like non-alcoholic beer at a point in time. Yeah, it kind of tastes the same, but I'm not really getting the buzz from it. You know? Yeah. yeah. Or, what what kind of a what must a billionaire story be? It must be something along the lines of I work harder than everybody, I'm better than everybody, and that's why I'm here. You would have to say that. You would have to have that story to continue on that trajectory, right? There's got to be God complex that comes into yeah, play, right? Agreed. I mean, if you see people like they're and they're easy to pick on, and they're they're still people, sure. but sure. Elon Musk is a great one to pick on. Yeah. Um, because he, I found him so fascinating for a long time. He's still fascinating. I think sure. he's still a fascinating creature. But he, for a while, was sort of this, sort of, you know, played the role of more an anti-hero type. Mm -hmm. And that was mm -hmm. his, like, I'm the guy who says the real stuff. I can say whatever I want. la ti da ti da I'm going to do my own thing and live in my trailer and make <laughs> space cars and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like over time, he's, he's become more brittle. Mm -hmm. at least the exterior he's become more um in the way that he puts things out in the world it just feels a little less like humanity is is slipping away yeah. and then you and at the same time though what kind of person thinks that they're put here on earth to get us off of earth like what what is going on that you think you're the savior mm. and that and that you have the only solution you know and why not take care of what is right around us? And maybe that's the argument people can make for electric cars, which I have my whole, there's a whole other, are they better? I don't know. Um, they still plug in. They still use the oil company's setup. I mean, what? Okay. And the batteries. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how, how do we maintain perspective and humanity when we don't really want for anything except for more power. Yeah, that's. I think that that's what you're seeing with him. And like, it takes us back to the idea of stories. Like he had a great story coming up. Hey, I'm this guy. Hey, I believe what you guys believe. I believe in free. I believe in these things. And then on some level, like I begin thinking like, okay, 
we're never ever going to Mars. Like the he's building weapons the same way Werner von Braun was the greatest rocket scientist of his time, and he built weapons to destroy other countries. So too is Elon Musk building satellite technology to build weapons. Mars mm-hmm. is a cover story. The moon and like like that the the I think space travel. I, I think it like this. I'll just throw this out here. Some since I'm going out on stories. I don't think you come into this world. You come out of it. You're part of this planet. Like you grow the the Earth grows people like an apple tree grows apples. You and I can no much go more go to Mars than we can send the ocean to Mars. Like we're part of this planet. You can't go out there. We're as far out in space as we're ever going to get. We are on a spaceship. We're traveling at a million miles an hour. We're not coming off the spaceship. So that being said, it, that that's how I begun to see the story about Elon Musk. And then, you know, it's weird to see that, like, on some level, <clears throat> you know, he has to be surrounded by people. He probably doesn't have any friends. He probably has only people around him that want stuff from him. You know, and it must be a strange feeling when your phone is ringing off the hook and it's people like, hey, man, why don't we do this? Hey, man, can I get that? Hey, can I have that? There has to be this weird isolation that begins to happen. And that's probably why he sleeps under his desk. Not because he wants to be productive, because he's trying to get away from all these people that like want stuff from him. And while, yeah. I'm touching, while I'm touching on this guy, why does he have like 40 kids? And how come all the, you know, why do the women that have babies with him, why are they never pregnant? Like, where are the babies coming from? Like, it's so weird. What's going oh. on there? Well, those are, those are great. Oh, yeah. I never thought about that. I remember hearing that he had all these kids and I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> he does? Is that his, maybe his story is like, that's me giving back because yeah. I, I have all I'm this money. I might as well pay world. child support. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's easy to pick on. And I'm sorry, Elon, but I just, there's all these weird questions, man. But I think it's such a compassionate way to, to look at that. I think yeah. that's really important is like when, when people get in these positions where they are just surrounded by succubus types yes. and people, yes. manipulators, uh, it's lonely. And like yeah. going back to like, we need each other. If you don't feel like you're truly connected or you truly have a community that actually loves you and supports you and believes in you, not because yeah. they want something, but just because they're there for you. Yeah. What that, that kind of creates that psychosis, I guess. Yeah. You're forced into that role. Okay. Well, if these people are going to treat me this way, then I'm going to treat them that way. I guess I am the Messiah. You know what? If these people are telling me I am, I might as well be at some point yeah. in time, you have these reinforcing narratives that, that push you in that direction. You know what I mean? And then you build these walls around you and then, Next thing you know, you only find solace in other people who are as psychotic as you, you know, and I, I don't mean that as a pejorative. I mean, that as we're all psychotic in some ways and you, you, you do gravitate towards people that think like you. So it's, you can yeah. see it's a self-serving sort of story, but it's back to the idea of stories, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. I can't imagine what that would, what it would be like to, to be in a position like that. Like what? Yeah. And yeah. Or to be one of the the children in that situation like mm-hmm. what happens to your mind when you're raised with that as your origin story i don't know fascinating yeah. if they're we, real if they are children out there yeah <laughs> i know and then you know if you if you dig even deeper into the story they oh his parents own like this crazy emerald mine wow yeah. I, you know i bet you, i bet you that his kids that he never sees from like his fourth wife or his third wife probably feel a lot like he did growing up. I bet you his parents were never around. They're probably always mining emeralds or, 
You know, like I bet you his dad cheated on his mom a million times the same way Elon has 20 different wives. It's not probably not fair for me to say, but in my story about him, that's what happens. Right. So yeah, it's, crazy. it's hard to get out of that. Like get out of the, break the chain, get out of the loop. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about generational stories because a lot of the times the things that happen in our life are stories that happened to us or the stories that our parents told. Have you ever seen that thread running through stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's like if we, I often fantasize about um, like, like a, a solar flare for memory and the whole world is just wiped clean. Like our memory banks are wiped clean. I don't honestly wish for this. I just imagine like, yeah, what would it be awesome. like if we didn't remember anything, any of our stories, mm. any of these things that identities and things that we could, what would happen? We wow. still have language, okay, but we just don't have any memory. So then what do we do? We go, do we we start talking to each other? We start learning things about what you're seeing? How, what's your day like? Because you don't have anything before that. Yeah. We don't have categories yet or any of this, you know, trauma that goes deep. I'm just so curious about how how we would behave and if this the tribalism that we have would probably it would persist in some way but it would be different and um yeah and i think that we can get really stuck to these stories of things that we deserve or don't deserve based on our appearances and the things that we have or don't have that often do a disservice more than generate you know awareness and compassion um it's there's this really interesting study that was done on um mice and I think it was the smell of, it was either like, let's say it's orange blossoms. And so they, I'm going to again, butcher this a little bit, but the, the gist is the, there's this male mouse, male mice, and they're exposed to orange blossoms, the scent of it, the same time that they're shocked. Mm. So they develop a fear response. Anytime they smell the orange right. blossoms, be afraid. Then they're isolated from the, these females and they're bred and those children are isolated. So they never grow up around this um, stimulus response that they, mm -hmm. ne they never see it. Mm -hmm. when, they, when they're growing up though, they're exposed to orange blossoms and they're terrified, never shocked, mm. never had anything else. Another generation and another generation, they are born fearing orange blossoms. So, and we talked about scent and memory being really closely interconnected. So, and we don't know how much of this translates to human brains, but I find that so fascinating to think of like, wow, this, this response created some kind of narrative in the brain, right? We don't think of mice as speaking necessarily, but there's yeah. a narrative going yeah. on. And, um, and it was just inherited without passing along verbally or, you know, just like just in their being. So how much of that are we dealing with? A lot. Like that's that, I think that explains nails on the chalkboard, right? Like yeah. clearly some beast that was going to murder us all. I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, maybe that speaks to the idea of us tearing down dictators. Maybe that, maybe that also speaks to us tearing down the people in positions of authority and hanging them by the gallows. Like that's what we do. Oh, okay. You guys are in power now for a little while guess what? We don't like you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to change it. You know, you can, maybe, maybe that's how the government looks at us. Like now, holy shit, these people are upset. We got to do something. 
And like, that's why yeah. they just pass bills, pass bills. Okay, we're out of here. Like you're trying to get yours before the people erupt and murder you because it's a matter of time, right? Like, <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need a little more of that. I mean, not to say that yes. people should be harmed, but it's like it, the, the easy, easy targets to pick on again, but the studio sure. execs in Hollywood, come on, come on, sign the contracts, like make the deals even yeah. with these people, with the, with the talent who is making the thing that you cannot live without. And you want to get a robot to do it? Fine. Get a robot to watch it. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just like the, to the point to like um, yeah. the, uh, Ford, you know, it's like, who's going to buy these cars? Who's going to watch these movies? You take care of the humans. And I don't, I don't see enough of that. Like what's happening to the execs? Nothing. Yeah. They get, they don't get any repercussion for not um, it, making good deals. You know, that's your job. Make a good deal. But I suppose, again, going back to the bottom line, if they're just looking at that, taking care of people isn't a service to the bottom line. So I what are we going to do about yeah. it? Yeah, well, I, I think what you're going to see is the people that are in positions of authority, because it's not just the writers. It's the UPS drivers. It's the railroad mm -hmm. people. It's Team all stars. of them. Yeah. And I think what's going to happen, at least in my opinion, is that those people that are holding out for trying to force people into work understand on some level that they're no longer relevant because the computer is not going to take away the, you know, you don't have to be afraid of your job, losing a job to chat BT, chat GPT. You have to be afraid of losing your job to someone who knows how to use chat GPT. <clears throat> and it's going to go, it, it's going to eradicate the world of contracts. It should, that's, that's what it can do. It should imagine if we used AI and chat GPT to actually get equal justice under the law. Like what if mm -hmm. we could all have an, an awesome judge? What if we could all have an awesome attorney? Like those are the jobs I think. What if we could all have a, a contract where it was fair instead of it being skewed to the person who has the most money? Like, and, and that's what the execs are doing. They're like, listen, you got to sign this unfair contract. that's dog shit for you guys. And they're like, nah, I'm not going to do it. And I, I think what you're going to see there is a couple of things. One, you're seeing people like yourself and a lot of other awesome people that are starting to create great content without the necessity of a studio. You still need mm -hmm. the writers. You don't really need the studio because it's all right here. You can have a microphone, a computer. Those guys are dinosaurs. But you have the incredibly talented people who can understand storytelling. They understand a character arc. They can, they can make the idea of the hero's journey jump out of the computer. They can understand how to leverage Nietzsche's camel to the child. They can make all these beautiful things just blossom into the world and, and people can enjoy it and they can do it for free. And that's another <laughs> thing too. Like I'll do it for free just to burn the students. I'll quit my job and create content for free just to burn <laughs> those guys. You know what I mean? And I hope more <laughs> people do it because we don't need them. We have us and we're better storytellers. What's a more engaging story? Someone who's left everything behind to create something they love or someone who makes a giant paycheck and you know they push a few buttons i think that we're seeing the revolution i think it is televised and i think it's people struggling to become the best most authentic version of themselves and that's what these strikes are about it's it's more than that like the good people are winning and regardless of what happens we're going to see the old industry fold underneath the same way tectonic plates fold under the other ones i think and I'm kind of ranting mm. there, but what, what's your take on that particular aspect of it? I love that. I love that view. I think we need to hear that, you know, gives some hope, right? Yes. Like yeah. There, there's a promise for something better and we have agency in that.
Yeah, and 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 having these people continue with the courage of stepping up, like saying, because I, I, man, mad respect to the to the people who are striking, and it's that's scary. It is. You have each other, right? Yeah, Yeah. it's like you, and and in this country particularly, um, man, it's just like the the um, I don't know if it's fair to say economic slavery. Can I use that word? But absolutely, um, you know, it servitude. It's just like we. I've been self-employed now for over 15 years and it's, it's, it's no, it's very difficult, right? Yeah, I love it. Agreed. Don't get me wrong, but every month you, I got to come up with how am I going to pay my three, five, $400 in healthcare? This isn't premium healthcare. This is just like, I still pay a hundred dollars to see a doctor. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then my mortgage or anybody in this yeah. position, like your rent, yep. your groceries that are more expensive now. Um, the people who don't understand what it's like to be self-employed, who keep going like, why do you charge so much? It's like, because I'm not getting a 40 hours paid a week. Right. It's like, this is, uh, why are your rates going up? Because inflation. Hello. Yeah. Um, that, that sort of thing. It's just like, I, I don't know where this rant is going, but sort of thinking about these people who are standing on the picket lines and have absolutely nothing coming in and can't work because of these, you know, there's some exceptions in SAG and then the, um, mm-hmm. uh, acting industry, the UPS, like what, is, what, what, how are you going to eat? What about your health insurance? What if you need to see a doctor and this, the way this country has programmed us and our narratives is really insidious. And I'm glad yeah. to see it breaking. Me too. And I think it's necessary. Like, uh, you know, I, I can speak on the behalf of, of, uh, all the, I think a large number of the UPSers, like the, it seems to me what's happened is this idea that the human being has come been reduced to a number. And I know that because when I used to go into work, the first thing they do, the first thing you go into work is you have to walk through this barbed wire fence and then you have to go through a metal detector and then they have to pat you down. And then you go in there and you're shown this list of numbers that you've been reduced to. And there's a negative mark because you didn't put up the same amount of numbers that somebody else did. So they want to compare you right off the bat. You know, and I, I remember just walking in and just being so sick to my stomach. Like, oh, you know why they, do you know why they have metal detectors in front of UPS? Because people come in with guns and murder their coworkers, but they're not really murdering their coworkers. They're murdering their boss. It's a funny story. It's not really funny, but when you hear about someone in a workplace and workplace violence, I don't think they're really murdering their coworkers. They're murdering their boss. And it's so interesting to me how people don't like to use that term when someone comes in with a gun and kills people, but they love to throw that term around when they're telling you what to do. Hey, I'm your boss. But if you come in with a gun, they're a coworker. I know it's kind of a crazy right. rant to go on, but you know, when we reduce people to the lowest common denominator, what story do you expect to come out of there? When you can't have compassion for somebody, when you say, oh, well, yeah, hey, you're working a little slower because your kid died. Hey, you're working a little slower because you're having problems at home. Well, that's one thing. But if you're working slower because, you know, 0172 isn't working right, you can get rid of 017, but it's hard to get rid of George who's lost his kid. It's hard to get rid of these people with real problems, but it's much easier if they're just a number. And that's why I'm happy to see the entire world going on strike. And it's not just in the U.S. I think it started in the world where we had the – um you know, the Middle East uprising, they called it, or, or it was the Europe or the, the Middle East spring. And then you mm. saw the yellow vests in France, and then you saw Greece erupt. And there's some interesting takes that are coming that came out of um, Varoufakis, who was the Greek finance minister. And he kind of laid bare the world that is finance and how they have a stranglehold over the rest of the world. 
but it's it's happening around the world and the people in positions of authority, whether government is the shadow cast upon people by business or they're working together or whatever ism you want to say it is, that system has broken and it's never going to get fixed. And I don't care how much weight they put on the people, whether they're UPS drivers, train track drivers, riders, it doesn't matter. You can't put enough pressure on people to push them back in their cages because that's not going to happen. People are erupting all over and it's such a positive thing. I know people that are scared. Trust me, I know what it's like to walk away from a guaranteed paycheck and I know how much it hurts and how scary it is, but that goes away. And what's born in its place is this sense of community. What's born in this place is this fundamental understanding of how much you gave up. You know how much you give up by going to work for 14 hours a day, leaving your wife and your kids and not sitting down and having an awesome dinner table discussion about integrity? You give up everything for a handful of fucking dimes and it's bullshit. There's way more life out there and it's a way richer, more beautiful life if you're willing to take responsibility for it. And in some ways, I think the world is saying like, look, rise up, like stand up and take your place. Stand up to authority. These fuckers don't know anything. We're way better and we're way stronger. And when we stand together, you know, let's do what the Luddites couldn't do. Let's go out there and destroy all their fucking machines. Let's, let's, destroy, let's destroy the machine that enslaves us. Now, that is my rant for the day. I, I, I love it. <laughs> I love standing up to it. It's, 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 it speaks volumes. And beyond that, I think it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to do it. And for, for people out there that feel the same way I feel, take that next step and walk it. Live it. Take one step every day. Do the tiny tips that you talked about, like whether it's smelling basketball shoes. Maybe it's walking into your boss's office for the first time and being like, okay, next time I'm going to say something. But maybe it's just walking past his door this time. Or maybe it's actually saying something. Maybe it's standing up for someone across the way that's getting yelled at. Maybe you just walk over there and stand next to him and say, I don't I mean, this is right. But us coming together and standing up for what we believe in is the very first steps in creating a society that oh, we no. want to be part of. So that's what I got. <laughs> Did I lose you right there? I was, I was I love it. like I got a, a mad I got a little frozen there. I got a frozen. Oh. <laughs> I but love it. Come it. back to stories. Yes. Yeah, yes. right? And exactly. And what is the role that you want to play in it? Which yes. is like going back to all these people rising up. Thank you. You yeah. are the heroes. The heroes. All of them. It, it is. It's a beautiful story. And okay, let, let's take it back to the beginning of what we were saying. Where are we in this story? Well, we have been being downtrodden for so long. And all it took was one or two people to start standing up. And now we followed them. It's the same way that water flows down a path. And all of a sudden, there's a little blockage. The water starts flowing around it and the rest of the water follows. We have seen people. I have had mentors. I have seen people that I love stand up for what they believe in. And that's what gave me the courage to do it. When you tell your story about like, hey, it's really hard for me to try to get enough money to buy a sandwich when you were starting out. Like, you know, it was really hard to do that, but you did it. And in doing so, you told a story that allowed other people to follow what you do. And you can still see it's like success piles upon success, piles upon success. And the more of us that take the opportunity to become authentic, the more we break away from the chains that bind us. And I, I think that that's a big part about behavior. If I, if I take it back full circle here, what you're really training people to do is stand up and change their behavior. And I, maybe we could talk a little bit more about 
how the small effects that we change in our behavior can fundamentally shift society. What do you think? Yeah. Think of just one interaction, like going to the coffee shop and the person in front of you, let's say they're in a really bad mood and they back up and they step on you and they just say, and let's say you didn't wake up in the greatest mood or you didn't feel amazing. And then you're Mm -hmm. just like, what the fuck? And then you get in a fight or you don't, but you pass that energy on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's this, another study that says uh, just three minutes of negative news in the morning has a profound effect on, on you six to eight hours later, you mm. have a much more likely something like 30% higher chance of um, continuing to feel negative. That that's energy that you're taking back yeah. to your loved ones, to your friends, into the office, everywhere it spreads. Right. So yeah, that tiny thing, that tiny moment, those tiny choices where you can go, Hey, um, it's all good. I'll buy you coffee. Yeah. You, can you be the person who, who offers that bit of kindness because you will get it back. And so will they, and so will the people around them and around you, the ripple effect, right? Yeah. It's those, yeah. The little moments that, that can kill or, um, nourish. And a lot of what I, what I think about a lot, um, and, and talk about a lot is the concept of deathbed you. And mm. I find it very inspiring thinking about your death. Yeah. Um, I love because it. we, that's another thing I think we can push aside feelings and the fact that we're mortal. And that's why we go to the movies and we listen to songs yep. and things like yep. that. Right. So we're not allowed to talk about it at the office a lot. Um, but the, there's this great article on a book written by Bronnie Ware. She was an end of life mm. care nurse. And she documented all of these top regrets of the dying. Right. Number one, I wished I had lived a life that was true to me and not what other people expected. Yeah. The number one thing people regret when they're dying is that they didn't live a life that was true to them and they tried to fit into somebody else's box and they lived by a bunch of shoulds and have tos and musts instead of I want to and I can and I will and I'm going to face this, the fears that I have and be courage and stand up for things that I believe in and be willing to fail and to learn and to have fun. That was another top regret. I wish I had let myself laugh and be silly to play, to spend more time with my friends. These are the things that really actually matter. And at the end of our lives, nothing is more painfully clear than that. Every single day, go do something that feels true to you that's kind and that connects you to somebody you care about or go care about somebody new. Yeah. Experience the richness of life. You know, we've been tricked into thinking that you have to have all this money in order to live life, but a walk is free. Calling a friend is free, you know, and it's, I love the idea of the energy transfer and the energy exchange. Sometimes it's difficult though. Like if you do wake up in a bad mood and you haven't had your coffee yet, what do you have any tips or tricks or hacks that you can do to shift your focus in that moment? Because sometimes if you just have a little a, a shift, you then you can change that energy. What do you do in that moment when you find yourself like ready to snap, but then you're like, okay, I'm gonna fix it. Like how how do you make that sh- quick change in yourself? Well, I, there's lots of different types. Sometimes like this morning, I just I wrote down three things I was grateful for. I don't do that every morning. Um, I don't know if it loses its power. I think it, it's like um, it's dosing, finding the right dosing for you. Mm. It's going to be different for everybody. So there's some mornings I do that. 
and that really just that's so the very first thing I focus on is like what do I, I just like the way that the light is shining through the window and yeah the snuggle of my kitty yeah and, you know that I'm gonna I have legs and I'm gonna walk <laughs> yep and that's what I did and that's another thing um walking like you said getting out in nature um seeing that Andrew Huberman is always talking um neuroscientist who has Huberman lab he's always talking about getting outside and getting morning light rain or shine every single day um and even just a few minutes of that really boosts your mood for the rest of the day it's like mm-hmm. necessary think of all this time yeah. we spend inside now it's it's wild um or do something like a silly movement like if you're taking yourself seriously oh this is something yeah. i love to do okay. what i'm taking myself really seriously i have um, one of my favorite costumes is a, is a penguin suit <laughs> so i will <laughs> i will dress up as a penguin and just totter around or go like <laughs> say something to my boyfriend just like bip, 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 and run away and that like, <laughs> it makes me laugh it makes him laugh yeah. it reminds me that you know there's no reason to take myself seriously it usually doesn't end well for anybody yeah. right yeah <laughs> yeah do something that just makes you laugh that's beautiful i love it i have now i have this awesome picture of people having an awesome relationship finding ways to make each other happy like that's that's enough you know i i I found that like a, a healthy dose of psychedelics seems to be a way to keep myself happy too. You know, it's, it's changing a state in a way. And it's so easy to not be grateful. It's easy to wake up and think about all the things you got to do and all the things you don't have, but it's a pattern in the same way you can wake up and write down things you're grateful for. So too, can you think about things you're grateful for? So too, can you force yourself to laugh? And especially like that's where this idea of dark humor comes from. Sometimes mm-hmm. things are so bad, all you can do is laugh. And that, that's enough to pull you out of that thing. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, is this really happening to me? Yeah. I guess I'm yeah. lucky. I guess I'm lucky, you know, or, or just whatever it is. You can pull yourself out of it. And another hack that I use sometimes when, when I find myself on the edge or sometimes you're in your car and people piss you off or something like that. But one thing I've really, that has really helped me is this idea that everything you notice in somebody you only notice it because you do it. So if someone's really pissing you off, the fact is they're probably pissing you off because they remind you of a part about you that you don't like. And that for me is like, oh, this, yeah. oh, damn it. You go from wanting to punch them to wanting to hug them because you're like, this person just showed me how dumb I am. This person just showed me what an asshole I am. And I should probably thank them for that because I just need to work on that. And it, when <laughs> as soon as I go down that rabbit hole, then I just go, holy cow. This is profound. This is the world talking to me. This is the world saying, George, listen to me. I'm going to make you the best person possible. Today, I'm going to show you what a weak chump you are because you're going to see this person that you think is weak, but I'm telling you, you're weak. Or you know what, George? Today, I'm going to show you how the world is about to unfold for you because you're out in your garden and I know you're staring at that vine. You can see the bud on that vine about to blossom into a, a flower. And you know what, George? That's you. You can rush around and do all the things you want, but it's not going to open up until, you know, August 9th at 1245. That's when it happens. So just try to enjoy the time until then. But the world is constantly talking to you. If you're willing to tell yourself that story, if you're willing to look at it that way, then you can co-create with the world around you. And instead of seeing it as a task, instead of seeing it as a job or something you have to fight or create, like it's something that you enfold into and it just takes away so much pressure that way. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it's like, and to that blossom, it's still going to need the sunlight and the wind and the soil and the water and time. Yeah. So tend, tend, you know, lovingly. And yeah. I, I also, when you're, you know the reflections that people the gifts that people have that don't always feel like gifts it's like oh yeah um, i really love it's like the the little care bear in you is going yeah. oh it's time to it's time to beam some light because otherwise i'm gonna get really i'm gonna crush things yeah. um uh what was i thinking about that the same kind of oh i think also the the value of the feeling that you are experiencing there's Alan Watts said, there is no mm. wrong feeling, which I love. There is never a wrong feeling. It's mm. you're, you, you're feeling what you need to be feeling in this moment. So you yeah. don't need to push it away. If you are feeling angry or grumpy, you don't need to force joy. Or I, I like to force laughter when I can, because I just love it so much. Um, but, but like, even if you could just get curious for a second about like, what is this yeah. feeling trying to tell me? What is the message? What is, what can I learn from? Like, I'm angry because, I, it's my body, my physiological being saying I'm not getting something that I, I feel I need right now, mm -hmm. or I feel like something, some boundaries being crossed and I'm uncomfortable. So where, how can I navigate and manage that? And it's harder when you're in the state of like absolute anger, but just, if you could just pause for a second and be like, Hey, this feeling is valuable. If maybe I can channel it in a, in a way that feels productive, but in the way I like to use that word. Yeah, no, it's well, it's really well said. I, I think there is, you know, different meanings of different words, which speaks to the idea of a living language. We don't have to live our life in a productive manner using the definition of productivity that was given to us by corporations. We could live our life in a productive manner that means creating something beautiful for everybody around us, you know. And I, I, I think that that is a big part of of. Some of the some of the videos that I watch of yours, like I, I really see you putting forth a vision of what is possible, and I like the way that you you tell the story of how we create the changes in our brain, and then it creates the changes in our lives. It's it's I still have trouble. I still struggle with that though. Like, how are we translating our vision into reality, Jocelyn? How is that happening? Hmm. Well, the way the way we perceive affects you know the way that we behave affects the way that we create affects the way that we perceive like it's all integrated mm -hmm. and if we are changing the story within so as an example going back to like think about my dad his yeah. story could have been i will never speak again i'm fucked let's give up mm. right or it could be hmm i let's see if i can say this letter today well, I wonder yeah. if I can say this word today. I wonder if I put a little effort in here, what could happen? I'm going to keep just taking steps and see what happens. Yeah. And the you know, big goal being to speak again. Maybe, maybe it's a North star. The point of it being a North star is it's something to aim for. Yeah. And then you just keep going. And I think like that's, that's the difference between, you know, it's like if you're, if you're telling yourself this story about giving up or being a loser then, how, then guess what? How are you going to see the world around you? How are you going to be judging those who mm -hmm. aren't doing the things that you think you wanted to be doing or the ones that are doing the thing that you want to be doing? And you're so jealous because you're so angry at yourself that you can't experience happiness for anybody. So like that's, it affects everything. 
right? I, that's, and then you're, when you make these new stories, you start believing them, mm-hmm. you start reinforcing them. You're, you are literally creating new neural pathways, which affects how you are in the world. And because we all are connected and, and affect each other, you are affecting the people around you. I think about this, one of the effective, effective things for people when they're struggling, um, and th- those people especially who have kids, it's like, what mm. is the narrative you want that your child to believe in? Yeah. If mom is telling herself, um, I'm not good enough, uh, or I need to work harder, or I'm not allowed to enjoy myself, um, I should just give up. Do you want your daughter thinking that? And that is usually an eye opener, you know, sort of like, oh, right. Because they, children are wisdom at its peak and usually takes us the rest of our lives to get back to that. Mm-hmm. When that kid is soaking up everything in ways that we get older and we lose, we lose some capacity usually, right? So they're just, they don't have yeah. all, all of the faculties that we have yet. So they're absorbing it all and integrating it in ways that, we can't all understand. So it's like everything you tell yourself in the, in the beliefs and the behaviors is affecting something. So it's like, what, how do you want it to affect yourself and the world around you? Yeah, that's, that is beautiful. And as you're telling that story in my mind, I see this giant ceremony that we're all part of. And it's this thing called life. And we get to experience it at different times. Sometimes we're the child that's in this state of constant amazement and learning. And then we we become adults. You know, there's a there's a great song by um Perry Farrell. It's called We'll Make Great Pets. And in that song he talks about <laughs> children are innocent, adults are fucked up, and elderly are like children. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so like it, it just it, it blows my mind to think about the ceremony of life that we're all in and we go through these different phases the same way the moon goes from full to waxing gibbous to you know all these different quarter moon and all these different things so too do we go through different phases of our life and if we're aware if we're aware that like for right now as an adult as a man who's almost 50 i can look at my dad and see holy shit i'm a lot like this guy in a lot of ways and then I see my daughter and I'm like, oh man, I can see the transformation happening. And if I really want to affect it, then I got to have a serious look at what my dad failed to not accomplish, but what he failed to work on. And I think it, I think it speaks back to the ideas people have when they're staring down death's door, the unrealized dreams. So if you're an adult and you have the and you're fortunate enough to have your parents alive, I think it would behoove you to have an honest conversation about what they feel they failed in in their life because it probably has echoed or transferred to you. And if you can grab hold of it and maybe just face it or be aware of it, then you allow your child to maybe not have to face it the same way. Like that's like evolution in a process. I think it's a conscious evolution. Like we can do that if we're aware that it's happening. But it's hard because you don't want to – some of those things are tough to face. Hey, man, we got this – in our family, we have a pattern of kids being molested. Like that's hard to talk about. But you have yeah. to figure that out. Otherwise, it goes just goes right downstream, right? It's an interesting thing yeah. to think about. Absolutely. And the, things, and the things we try to stuff away or don't talk yes. about, like what we resist persists, right? It's just going to yeah. get stronger. Yep. And usually more pernicious. It's like try to shove it away. It's going to get craftier coming out somehow. 
like unless yeah. you stare openly at the the beast you know and try to try to soften um those 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 difficult conversations just like allow the vulnerability that's required i think a lot of people really struggle with that so we feel like oh no if i say if people see the real the real thing that i think that i deem ugly they're not going to love me they're not going to accept me i'll be ousted from the tribe and i'll die alone and sad and scared you know <laughs> so it's like no revealing the thing that terrifies you gives you power and strength and if if you're around people who reject that find new people <laughs> like you know it's it's not always that easy it's like your family will reject a lot of that but it's just like knowing the power of of being able to share those most tender parts because we we need that and thinking again of the deathbed version of you that person the biggest regret they'll have is you know possibly the things that you wished you would have said mm. yeah i i think that speaks volumes of yeah, I think everything's fractal. And the way we just talked about families being afraid, so too does that same problem happen in the workplace. And like that gets back to where we are. Like how much of the problems we face today are just fear. Like we're mm. afraid to stand up to our boss. We're afraid to do what's right because we're afraid to lose, which is a weird way of saying we're afraid to die. You know, but in some in some ways, the things that you push down or you don't stand up to you're kind of giving them permission to rule you. You know, mm -hmm. the same way that you give your boss authority, so too do you give the person that molested you the authority if you don't confront them. This idea yeah. of confrontation, this idea of standing up, this idea of authenticity, standing before the thing that scares you is enough to scare the thing that scares you. I should write yeah. that down. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. I think the fear, especially we could feel it right now. You know, this like, yeah, it's been, it's been around for a few years now, but the COVID, the COVID thing really unlocked uh, real feelings in a way that is terrifying for a lot of us. Um, I just, I just had this memory. I think you said, you said this on Jeff's show. It's like, the, it was about AI, right? It was um, mm -hmm. the, AI is a reflection of us and it yeah. terrifies us because it's us. Yeah. But it's also wonderful because it's us. I love that, right? It's like, how do you see this, the, the things you're afraid of as gifts, especially yeah. if you talk about them? Yeah. They are. Like, here, here's something that I've learned going through tragedies is that it gives you a superpower. And it's hard to figure that out because in the beginning, most tragedies rip something away from you. And part of you feels like you've died, be it your innocence or be it a life or be it a goal or be it an outcome, whatever it is, in real tragedies, something is ripped away from you and there's a hole. But over time, something grows back in that hole. And that hole is a superpower and it allows you to see in other people that thing that happened to you. And in doing that, the superpower is now you have an opportunity to help someone when you needed help. And that is like this powerful mode of healing. Like, holy shit, I can't fix what happened to me, 
But I see it happening to this kid, and you better believe I'm going to go over there and say something. I'm going to do something. And in a weird way, you get to heal yourself by healing someone else. And like, I, I really believe the world's talking to us in these patterns. And it's this idea of like, look, I'm going to have to crush you, George. You know, I feel like there was some there was some sort of sit down meeting between me and the creators. Like, okay, George, I'm going to need you to go into this planet. It's going to be rough. I'm going to do some fucking mean shit to you. But I love you. And the reason I'm doing it is because I think you're strong enough to come out the other side and help other people. Now get in the game. You know, and it's hard to think about that when it happens because you're like, why? <laughs> That's bullshit. No one loves me. You yeah, go yeah. through all these questions, but like ultimately you're given a sign of, Hey, remember the contract? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's a contract. Okay. Okay. I get it. Yeah. You're right. That did suck. Now I'm going to go help people though. And if you can do it, maybe that's, maybe that's what happened. Jocelyn with you seeing your dad, like maybe you had this contract. You're like, okay. Now you're going to go out and it's not going to be easy, but I want you just to shun your gifts in the in the world of industry, yeah, you can make millions of dollars doing branding and getting into K Street. You could probably make millions, but I'd rather you fight to get a sandwich to help people. Like that's such <laughs> a better way to live your life. That makes you such a more beautiful person. It makes you someone that I want to be around. It makes other people attracted to you when you can provide a contagious way to look at life. And I think that's what you're doing to people. And I hope other people are inspired by that because I'm inspired by it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's real. You know, uh, uh, there's this. Uh, have you seen True Detective season one? No, I haven't. I'll write it down. What's it about? Tell me about it. I don't want to give anything away. <sighs> okay. Um, okay. But it does have Matthew McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson, and they're brilliant. Yeah. And uh, I, without giving too much away, there's a line I love. Okay. And it's an exchange, actually. And the exchange goes. <sighs> They're, they're looking up at the sky, right? Looking at the mm -hmm. stars, the night sky. And it's something like, look at, look at all the, um, like dark darkness out there. And here's this story about, you know, it used to just be all darkness and then there were stars and, and, uh, and look, look at it now there's more and more stars. So if you ask me, the light's winning. <laughs> It's like a, the way they put it is much more, much more eloquent than that. But I just love that notion of it used to just be darkness. And now look at it. It might look still like a lot of vast space in between, but the light's winning. I just really, I think that's one of those things that can give us hope. It's like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of dark terrain and um, we just got to keep going, looking for the light. Yeah. And every one of us is like a star and every one of us that turns on, presents inspiration for everybody else because there may not be anything more inspiring than the night sky to look up mm. you know and, and instead of looking down at your phone maybe you're looking up at what is possible and you're beginning to see or create your own story of constellations in your life like there's something there right when you look to the heavens to be inspired and i love that i got i'm gonna have to check that out you know yeah it's, it also reminds me of this idea of metaphors. Like how powerful are metaphors in our life and, and the stories we tell? What, what's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, they give us, that's like the kind of the point of when we don't really have all the words to express yeah. everything that we're feeling. So metaphor is like a tiny story. Sometimes yeah. like I'm going to convey this meaning through imagery. This is what also what I love about my, uh, haiku, which my dad is yeah. a master at. He's been doing it since longer than I've been here in the world. And um, it's that's like capturing this moment in as much precision as possible. This 
juxtaposition in in the natural world that gives you this feeling of indescribable wonder and connection and um complicated mix of feelings sometimes yeah. like wonder and and loss at the same time and i think that's what the, the power of metaphor and um and short short form narrative and story and poetry it's so beautiful shout out to your dad for uh what's your dad's name if you don't mind me asking brett brett brady brett brady shout out to brett brady for bringing into this world a beautiful idea of language and symbols and jocelyn and everything she's doing like your dad sounds like an amazing person i'm stoked he stoked he's alive and creating poems and making the world better it's, it's, it's no it's not odd to me that he's in Hawaii because it's so beautiful here. It's not odd to me that you spent time here because it's so beautiful here. But what let, let's let's stay on this vibe for a minute about language and imagery. It seems that like poetic metaphors or poetry in general is a great way for me to transfer an image in my mind through the use of words and put that image in your mind. It might be the closest thing to telepathy. Yeah, I I, I... man, I think what they need to do with with painting and oh yeah cinema. Mm -hmm. can do that in a way but poetry is like this little i don't know package of magic especially when <laughs> that's so done right and actually can i read to you this this was please i would love it this was shared with me today so somebody in a in the acting community in portland died this week much too young mm. and um this poem was shared in tribute i just think it's so beautiful um it's not too long, so let's see. It's called For M by Miko Harvey. So here it goes. I don't want you to be nervous. Maybe thinking of a walrus would help. Have you seen the video of the penguin accidentally stepping on a sleeping walrus? It thought it was a rock. The walrus wakes up like, what the fuck? And the penguin scurries off like, oh shit. Sometimes it's funny watching a surprise happen and not just funny, but kind of amazing. Like. You never really know what's what when it comes to this planet. Then again, when it's you getting surprised, that's different, especially for tender ones like us. What are we supposed to do? It's bad for our hearts, you know? I hope you won't need pills like I do. I think I get so scared because I'm greedy. I want to hold on to everything. The world wants to take it away. What the fuck? The number of hours we have together is actually not so large. Please linger near the door uncomfortably instead of just leaving. Please forget your scarf in my life and come back later for it. Man. Yeah, that one hit. Yeah, it's really true to life. And in a way that is real. It's true. It's it's real. Yeah. Yeah, that's the power of poetry, especially when we are going through these really heavy moments that we don't know how to describe. And losing people is one of the hardest, you know, losing things, people and animals and beings that we love is indescribably difficult. And this gives us some language we can hold on to. You know, it, it brings up another interesting point that it's in these times of fighting it's in these times of difficulty it's in these times of loss that 
we really find the inspiration to create. Maybe it's a memory of someone we lost or, you know, maybe it's, it's facing the fear or something like that. But maybe the only way you can get a Jocelyn Brady is by having a life that is made difficult. You know, maybe the only reason you're able to have the deep thoughts you have or the inspiration that you can do for people or to come up with as much content as you do or find ways to, you know, pay your mortgage is because you're forced to. Maybe that's that's something that's working on us. What do you what's your take on that? I mean, does, adversity does give rise to, you know, perseverance. Right. And because what's the other option? Like, like your house burns down, a lava e volcano eats it. What are you going to do? You're going to give up? Starve to death? Like what, what do you know? You know, because mm -hmm. we have this will to live. And so it's like you fight. Um, you, you keep going. You look for the opportunities. You refuse to give up and you refuse to let the obstacles keep you down get knocked around some sure you know L learn some things fall down figure things out find your balance lose it again find it again i mean one of my favorite analogies to use here is surfing which mm. i grew up doing and i started surfing because i could no longer run so i, I was a sprinter and when i was 14 i got really injured all my joints were like, nope, we don't like the hard things, the hard pavements and things. It's like, okay, what's soft? I'm going to get in the water. I'm going to start surfing. Yeah. And man, nothing teaches you about just patience and perseverance and perspective and pe paying attention. Um, just keeping heightened awareness. And you're just looking for the, the right wave for you. And you work you paddle, you go for it, you put in the effort. And the first few, several times, it won't work out the way you'd like, or you yeah. imagine, you know, you're not going to stand up and be a Kelly Slater or whoever. You're going to tumble and you're going to fall into fall, maybe hit something. It's terrifying when you're doing the, the washing machine underwater. And yeah. I remember the first time I, I got super scared. I didn't, couldn't find which way I was up and I was yeah. fighting so hard. And that, that's also this important lesson of there are times you just, you need to let go and let your body relax because it will find the right way. You can't fight. You can't win in your fight against nature. You have to mm -hmm. allow some things to be and then go, okay, where now is the opening? Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm settled and I can find it. And there's some air. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's so true. I love, I love, I love that what you said about trying to fight nature in some ways, whether you're talking about nature as being pulled under in a riptide or falling down after rock climbing or trying to fight what's going on in your life. Like we, we live in nature and we have our human nature. And if you just take time to see what's happening in nature, a lot of the times that'll show you what's happening in your own body. And this idea of not fighting it, you know, I, I know that there is, like you can create diamonds out of pressure. I get it. And I, I understand fighting for a goal or fighting to get to the top of the mountain, but there's a difference, I think, in 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 fighting your nature. There's that, you know, there's mm -hmm. there's a great what's the one with like the frog and the scorpion, right? Where they, yeah, they yeah. down by the water and the the scorpion's the like, hey man, give me a give me a lift across the river. And the frog's like, are you kidding me? You're going to sting me, man. You're a scorpion. He's like, no, no, I, I really got to get across. 
frog's like, all right. So they get halfway across, and of course, the scorpion stings them. And the frog's like, what the fuck? He's like, it's in my nature, man. <laughs> like, that was such a good one. because it's, <laughs> it's in all of our natures. Like, we all do things like that. And when it happens, maybe you can laugh about it. Maybe you can remember the frog and the scorpion and just be like, oh, yeah, it's in my nature. Of course I was going to do that. Like, but you can work on it from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe not that frog. It might have another chance. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> maybe you don't get a chance, but what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And that's like, that's funny coming like the, the dual nature, the um, myriad ways you can use words, right? Because I mean, yeah. even the same thing. I was like, I, I fight and I don't give up. And then it's like, but I don't fight. <laughs> like, I don't. You don't fight against nature, but then you do fight against things that, you know, that can hold you down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in giving, you know, fight for things you believe in, but not against things you'll never be able to change, like the way a tree grows or <laughs> like the way the ocean tumbles. I don't know. It's a, it's interesting to think about. I love that, that how many meanings yeah. one word can convey. Okay, well, that mean like how many how many ways how many directions can your life go? How many? Yeah, it's like that creativity thing people do. Okay, I'm gonna give you an object and I want you to tell me tell me as many things you think it is. It's a hat. It's a it's a baseball. It's you know what? However many things you creative ideas you can come up with, however many different meanings of a word you can come up with, that transfers into how many directions your life can go. Because a lot of the times we get stuck in a problem and we have like this rotating real of horrible fucking things we say about ourselves. So why not use that creativity experiment of like, okay, what else? Okay. I shouldn't fight. Wait, wait a minute. I shouldn't fight. What I'm fighting this. No, I'm fighting that. But all that internal dialogue points out. It points up when you're down in the water. Like that's what orientates you into the right direction is redefining the language, redefining your words. And when you redefine your language, you redefine your thoughts. And when you redefine your thoughts, you can redirect yourself in an area that's beneficial to you and everyone around you. And in doing that, you can create a pathway for other people to follow. And it really helps. It really helps center you and make you understand that you're part of this whole. And that's another part I hope people understand is that when you feel down or when life is just crushing you, understand that you know this too shall pass and you're part of a bigger system. And that should alleviate at least some of the stress. I, it's a good mental exercise I think people can do. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know it's going back to that, um, the talking about the stars. One of my favorite quotes is Oscar Wilde saying, we're all in the gutters. Just some of us are looking up at the stars. I really love that. It's like, you yeah. always have that choice. You always have that choice. And think of all these beautiful minds who have brought us these ideas, like Victor yeah. Frankl, um, or that movie. Yeah. Life is beautiful. It's just like you, that's your, what is it? Frankl's quote is something like that. Like, you know, your, your last, um, I can't remember it exactly, which is basically the gist of it saying you always have a choice on mm -hmm. how you choose, like you can choose to see and follow through. Even if you feel like you have no agency, you can at least choose how you see and treat people. And that's yeah. power. That's, that's ultimate power. And that's power no one can ever take from you, you know, and he proved it by going through a concentration camp and, trying to figure out like why are some people dying and why are some people living and this will to live and this ability that you have agency 
you can't control in life. You can't control what happens to you, but you and you alone get to control the meaning of the event. And there's real power in that. Another, I, I love, like I got to, I keep this book of like words to inspire by me all the time. And like, as soon as I start feeling like this is just not working, this is what, well, this is dumb. <laughs> as soon as I start thinking yeah. on that road, I just move up in that book. And I'm like, I just replaced that pattern of negativity with like dreams do come true. And they can exceed your wildest imagination. You know, when you just take out this one and put in that one, like it fundamentally changes the way you see the world. And so, I don't know. It's, it's such a fascinating time. I'm really stoked to talk yeah. to you. you. You've referenced a few great books in this conversation so far. And I'm curious if maybe you could list off a couple other books that people listening to our conversation may be interested in. Mm, um, let's see. Yeah, Man's Search for Meeting. They recommend required reading. <laughs> um, what else? I loved, um, I wonder if you can even see I love some. It. Let's yeah. see. Um, the first ones, well, usually the first that comes to mind. What do I have over there? Ooh, The War of Art. That mm. one's great. Have you read that one? The War of I, Art? I haven't read it. I'm going to write it down right now. Uh, it is amazing. Stephen Pressfield, he's talking about resistance, especially in the creative act and how we can how we choose to to go forward um the obstacle is the way love yeah um ryan ryan holiday um also um oh what is it called the brain that changes itself norman deutsch is a really fascinating look at how early neuroscience and and beyond not even early neuroscience like going back i think he goes back to the 40s and 50s and some of these stories but just basically the brain's amazing capacity to rewire and change itself so even when um people are are blind this guy invents a way for them to see using electric um nodes on the back that are plugged into a television and then they're perceiving sight through the cells on their back Ooh. and he's kind of like wow the brain eyes don't see the brain sees it's just these are the organs used for mm -hmm. that but you can adapt in other ways so that's a super fun and cool book to me um yeah oh anything by Roald Dahl mm. <laughs> going back to kid books or um his essays uh or was it who else am I thinking of that had these really beautiful essays um Joan Didion one of my favorite essay writers yeah, those are the ones coming top of mind today. That's awesome. That's a lot of them. And I'm hopeful people listening to this can either write them down or go back and listen to it because I, it's fascinating to me. I, I love the way your brain works. And I think that that's one reason you're so successful is that you help people see things in a different way. And it's really cool to get to hear how you became that way and the influences on you that help you to continue to change the way you see the world. And I really think the people out there including myself are inspired by it and they look up to it so i'm thankful that first off we got to meet and thankful that you're doing what you're doing and i look forward to see everything that you continue to do and that being said where can people find you what do you have coming up and what are you excited about uh jocelynbrady.com um is my website my old one i hope is rerouting uh, properly but jocelynbrady.com uh jocelthem t-h-e-m uh, on Instagram, Jocelyn Brady, YouTube, Jocelyn Brady, LinkedIn and Substack. So those are all the places. Um, look up at the sky. 
and <laughs> there we are. Um, what am I looking forward to? What am I excited about? I am, oh, I'm launching a, a course with a friend and colleague of mine. She's a therapist. And so we're bringing together our respective strengths. And, and we also really both share a dark sense of humor. We love nice. laughing. And we want to give people these these skills and tools that we really love most on, um, you know, like being a person in the world, especially when there's a lot of fear and uncertainty and um, yeah. robots and uh, corporations not being nice. Um, it's called Human Skills for a Robot World. So I'm excited about that. And uh, looking forward to also continuing to have this beautiful summer these these walks in the morning that are just blue sky and perfect weather. I love it. What for someone that might be interested in in learning about human skills in a robot world, like what maybe you could break down a little bit about what people could expect to learn there. Yeah, so it's on playscientists.com if you want the full course information, but it's basically teaching so um, emotional granularity and awareness. Mm -hmm. So becoming more aware of your emotions, how to work through them, how to develop resiliency, um, tapping on your strengths. So looking at how do you, what do you do best and how can you um, strengthen those strengths and use right. them particularly when, you know, you, you feel uh, anguish or need nourishment. Um, I talked about resiliency and creativity and the ability to feel your real fucking feelings without burning things down. I think that's important. That's in there. Uh, yeah. Finding your way out of um, difficult situations and seeing opportunities where many others would only see obstacles. Yeah. That's really well said. And I think we need it now more than ever. Consider it's, it's interesting to think about that. There's a gener there's like a last generation of, people who grew up without the internet and in some ways it's incumbent upon that generation to teach the skills back to the next generation you know and it sounds a lot like that's kind of what's going on there yeah it's so it's so <laughs> wild to think about that just i imagine every generation goes through some version yeah. of this but this one feels so maybe everyone says that this one does sure. feel so different it's like uh people always had screens and the ability to connect with anyone in the world at any time since childhood what mm -hmm. do they do how do you understand like that's incredible um but also it's the like what how do you teach people the value it's like are you getting your hands dirty are you planting things are you riding your bike for hours without having mm. to check in there's a lot that's um, lost, and it, and for somebody who grew up in my generation, that's a hard thing for me to reconcile. It's like I I wish upon everyone that ability to be able to just check out and be completely alone without being tethered to device. Mm -hmm. And to me, that feels like a loss. But I don't know what it feels like to grow up with another option. Um, yeah, and I think it's just important to we stay connected to the real world around us while we develop these skills, learning. AI and, and the necessary tools, you know, to, to, to get stuff created and done and um, communicate and connect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's refreshing in some ways when I'm hearing you talk, I'm, I'm seeing this beautiful world emerge, but it, it takes builders. It takes people that takes risks, you know, and it, 
it's just beautiful to see people taking part and helping shape the reality around us. And I wish more people would do it. And I think that more people will do it, but it's just a matter of showing them and being an example to everyone else that sometimes this uncomfortable things in life and this idea of uncertainty that seems to have a negative connotation to it is something you can embrace and it can fuel you and it can be something you're comfortable with. You know, sometimes uncertainty can mean freedom. Would you rather be safe or would you rather be free? And you got to make a choice in there somewhere. Yeah. And imagine if everything was certain and planned and there were no options. And imagine if we only lived by one person's version of certainty mm. and we didn't agree with it. How, yeah, awful. So think of the, like how wonderful it is that we get uncertainty. Yeah. We, get, we get to be surprised. We get to be delighted. Sure, there are things along the path that aren't as comfortable, but we, we get that in, in exchange for dealing with the discomfort. We get magic. Yeah, that's, I'm going to write that down. That's a quotable quote right there. I love it. <laughs> Well, Jocelyn, this has been a really awesome time, and um, I hope you can come back. And maybe we should do some panels. We should get Jeff on here, maybe some other people, and we could just bounty about and talk about different things. I think it's really fun, and I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, likewise. Um, Thank you so much. Fantastic. Well, hang on for one second. I'm going to talk to you briefly afterwards, but I'm going to tell all our friends goodbye. And that's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time. Go into the show notes, check out Jocelyn. She's got a bunch of cool stuff coming up, and check out her YouTube channel. You'll be blown away by what you learn and the manner in which you learn it. So that's what we got for today. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart, and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, Follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.